thinking we'll get back to where we were. That's not going to happen. We're going to find our way forward. Now, there's, I'm, not, I'm not all doom and gloom. I don't think this is the end of civilization or the end of business as we know it. But those organizations that are learning again, they're, they're, they're adept. They're, they're doing everything they can to figure out what's going on and how to adapt themselves to this new world that we're in. Those are the ones that we're going to see succeeding. I'm Jeff Cobb. I'm Salisa Steele, and this is the Leading Learning Podcast. Welcome to episode 252 of the Leading Learning Podcast, which features a conversation with Seth Kahn. This is the second episode in our seven-episode series on the learning business in disruptive times. Seth Kahn is the founder of the company Visionary Leadership, which provides strategic advice and consulting. Seth has worked with the leaders of large multinational organizations like the World Bank and the Peace Corps, and since 2002, has worked with over 100 association CEOs. Some of his most exciting work with those CEOs involves grand challenges, big, bold goals that organizations take on, partnering with others to make a difference with problems that society has thus far not been able to resolve. His work includes initiatives with the American Nurses Association, the CFP Board's Center for Financial Planning, and the thriving Earth Exchange powered by the American Geophysical Union. Jeff spoke with Seth in September 2020. When you think about what we're living through and working through right now, what what are some of the things that are top of mind for, for you? Well, learning is top of mind for me. Uh, we are in a time where our ability to adapt is making a difference in our survival. Uh, and uh, for many, many uh, people here in the United States, as well as around the world, it's re- it really gets down to food, uh, money, uh, basics, health. Uh, so, uh, those of us who are fortunate enough to have uh, businesses that are keeping us afloat, uh, are really having to retool and to think about how we serve in this incredibly disrupted environment we're in. So learning is top of mind, uh, you know, and it's, and it's learning in real time. Sometimes things are changing so fast, uh, and it requires so much more than just tuning into the news, because as we know, the news is fragmenting. It's going in a lot of different directions. So uh, it means being in touch with customers, with clients, with our family, uh, with our core values, and figuring out how to land on our feet over and over and over again. And now I know you as somebody uh, who is a, a very serious, a very dedicated, lifelong learner yourself. Have, have you changed anything uh, in, in current times from, you know, what you were doing before all of this hit? Uh, absolutely. I've changed a lot. Um, for one thing, um, I had to get really close to my customers really fast. And uh, in middle of March, uh, when the uh, shelter in place began in earnest, my uh, incoming work dropped to zero and it didn't pick up again for two and a half months. But I knew that that disruption uh, uh, could be shortened if I would be aggressive and understand what my customers were going through. And so I immediately started reaching out to association CEOs and holding Zoom conferences and dealing with the issues that they felt were most uh, urgent and doing it all for free because it was important for me to educate myself. It was part of my learning process. I couldn't wait for an engagement uh, to form 
for my learning to take place. I had to move faster than I knew I would be will, uh, able to engage. Uh, when I say engage, I mean like write a contract and all of that and get you know, a formal agreement in place. So I just began doing stuff for free just so that I could make instant contact. Um, and that's professionally. Personally, it's also shifted. I find that my reading habits are really different than they were in my private time. So, for example, I'm deep into racial justice right now. Um, and I've read about three or four books. I'm in a couple of Facebook groups where we get together weekly and discuss. Uh, I'm participating with black CEOs in the association space. Uh, so that's a, a, that's a whole area that has long been an interest, but now I'm deep diving into that space and have been for weeks. Also, personally, I'm uh, getting much more into meditation. Um, I found that as stress and uh, a crisis emerge around me, uh, that I want to be as clear-sighted as I possibly can. And that requires practice. That's not something that I can just do because I feel like it. So I, I've been working to develop an internal sense of clarity and equanimity uh, in the face of chaos so that I can find my way through it, basically. I think you and I uh, track in, in some of the same ways. I've definitely reinvigorated my own meditation practice and have found that to be uh, just a, a, a comforting thing to do in these times. And you know, you're talking about reading. I also, I, I just recently finished, it wasn't exactly a biography. It was more of taking James Baldwin's perspectives and kind of ap applying them in, in the times that we have right now. And, and now I'm reading a great book called uh, Cast. Uh, which um, is just really, really insightful. I would recommend that to, to anybody. Now, I, I want to come back and talk more specifically about your, your 100 CEOs initiative, um, but there's probably going to be some overlap between that and what I'm going to ask right now, which is, you know, you're working primarily with uh, trade and professional associations, big focus area for you. Um, a huge part of uh, what those organizations do is around providing continuing education, professional development, lifelong learning, whether they're doing that through seminars, whether they're doing that through conferences, which have been really disrupted um, in, in the, the current times. How are you seeing you know, some of the organizations you've worked with or are working with respond in, in, in these circumstances? Well, it's a, it's a very wide continuum. Uh, fortunately, there are people who are leading and getting good results. So one of the, the best services I've been able to provide to my clients is just sharing knowledge, what, what's working, uh, because everybody's scrambling and trying to figure it out. As you said, meetings have been disrupted with short notice, uh, sometimes less than 30 days. Um, and some, some of those meetings for at least one of my clients represented over 90% of her uh, income for the year, uh, just canceled, boom. And um, so people are trying to figure out how to retool their meetings for a virtual environment, some of them with many thousands of people. Um, there have been some huge successes as people have been forced into this virtual space. Um, one of the things that's happening is that we're discovering things that work better than they do in a live situation. Um, now, it's still painful because nobody had a choice about it and people were, you know, caught off guard. Some organizations were very good at virtual working and uh, holding meetings. They've been doing it for years and really had built competencies around it. Um, I know at least one of my clients um, gave their staff less than a week's notice uh, to begin working from home. And there was no disruption in the continuity at all because they'd all figured it out a year ago and they were regular practitioners. 
Then you've got the other end of the spectrum where people were scrambling, disconnected, having uh, challenges with leadership in a virtual environment. That's a big one, by the way. Uh, there's there's a couple of things that have really risen up internally in organizations. One is mental health, and the other is how do you lead in a virtual environment. Um, but on the on the uh, the learning meetings and education front, uh, there's some been some big successes. I did a uh, um, a um, uh, a session where we brought together about 30 association leaders to uh, really do some creative work around virtual meetings, and we had uh, a leader at Experience which works with organizations like Disney, you know, I mean, mega organizations. Uh, and he was very involved in our work together. And so we pooled all of this kind of creativity around uh, how do you create a virtual meeting that will serve your members? And some of it came back to basics, you know, like questions like always start with who's your target audience and what's the value you're trying to create? Uh, but the thing was, is that uh, people were starting over, people who had 30 years experience, some of them running meetings, were suddenly in a completely different environment asking that question. And th those who really took the time to do an honest reset landed on their feet primarily. Um, of course, members are forgiving in the early days. Uh, because we're all in shock. And so if the organization's taking a month or two to get its feet under itself, everybody understands that and gives them the benefit of a doubt. Um, but associations are being forced to say, well, you know, hey, meetings is not the value proposition. What happens at the meetings? How do we replace it? And the question around learning is uh, just at the top, top of the uh, top of the list to address. What do you see as the the real threats right now? That if you you know if you don't address this, it, it you know it, it could be I guess fatal is the you know the 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 word to use relative to you know an organization's existence or at least their effectiveness as an organization. Well, one is strategy. Uh, so you know, one, two, and three year strategies are not working. People need to have rolling strategies, uh, three to six months. Um, <clears throat> they're uh, underestimating the impact of the uh, different disruptions that are taking place. Uh, for example, um, I was talking with Susan Robertson, who's the uh, CEO of ASAE, the American Society of Association Executives, several months ago. We were in the pandemic, but it was still a couple months ago at least. And um, she said she is not sure that the meetings world which includes the hospitality industry, it includes the, the meetings themselves, the meetings planners, it includes uh, transportation. Um, that whole world is not going to be able to recover until following 2021. And uh, so any uh, association that thinks, well, we'll have our meetings back up to normal by April uh, could really, uh, you know, be underestimating a significant force that will could harm them in the long run. And the reason she gave made so much sense to me, and this was months ago. So, you know, again, that was uh, the United States has had a couple of months to try and get its act together around the pandemic and has failed. So she was saying this when there was still hope that we might, as a nation, come together to uh, get a consistent response to the pandemic. Um, what you have is all of these organizations, think Marriott, think Southwest Airlines, all of these uh, players that are in this space. First of all, you know, meetings is not just an association thing. It's how the world does business. So everybody's dependent on this. Um, 
people fly all over the planet all the time now. It's a norm, or it was six months ago. And so we're we're having disruption on that level, not just in the association world. And these organizations have let go of staff, and these are professionally trained staff. So they're going to have to figure out how to bring them back on board uh, in, a, in a way that for, so a lot of the staff are angry because they've been furloughed or let go after years and years. They might, may not want to come on board, and maybe they found another job. And uh, at the same time, we're heaping our meetings and our transportation needs on top of our already full schedule. So if you moved your November meeting to next April, well, there was somebody who already had April. <laughs> and that's happening in mass. So she sees this kind of overlapping uh, impact, not not a direct, like a secondary impact, as we try and get back up to speed and that disrupting us for, uh, again, she projected to the end of 2021 at that time. So that's an example of, uh, of, of this. But I, I mean, they're, they're in every level. There's, there's the uh, economic disruption, um, the job loss. I mean, we're, we're equating it with the Great Depression. This could take decades to iron out. Um, supply chain disruption, you know, all of these things. So anyways, underestimating, thinking we'll get back to where we were. That's not going to happen. We're going to find our way forward. Now, there's, I'm not, I'm not all doom and gloom. I don't think this is the end of civilization or the end of business as we know it. But those organizations that are learning again, they're 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 adept. They're they're doing everything they can to figure out what's going on and how to adapt themselves to this new world that we're in. Those are the ones that we're going to see succeeding. And now, you know, we've been focusing as as a is appropriate um, for kind of the world you're working in, the world I'm working in on, um, you know, disruptions to that, that, that meetings industry, the, you know, how uh, education and learning are going to be delivered. Um, but of course there's a, there's a whole lot else going on right now. Um, you know, uh, underlying the whole meetings coming together, travel issue in the background is the whole issue of climate change, um, which that, that whole industry has an impact on. And that, that hasn't gone away in all of this. Obviously, it's still sitting back there. It's a big, hairy problem to wrestle with. And then, of course, we've also got, you know, so much uh, social inequity going on right now, racial inequity, economic inequity. I mean, how are you and how are some of the organizations you're interacting with thinking about those issues right now and, and potentially taking action relative to, to those sorts of, of issues? Well, I see a disparity between those two issues in particular, and I'll just say what I what I'm hearing as I'm talking to CEOs. Uh, first of all, across the board, everybody recognizes climate change. We have reached a threshold with climate change, at least among the leaders in business that I speak with regularly, conservative and uh, progressive alike recognize climate change is big. Uh, it's not. Uh, we have not figured it out. It's. Uh, it, it's going to impact the whole planet, and everybody wants to know what we're going to do about it, and is and is ready to invest in it. That is not true with racial injustice. Um, I have, uh, and, and also I want to say I think we read the same book, Begin Again, uh, when you were talking about the James Baldwin work. Yeah, outstanding book. Um, that uh, really connected a lot of dots for me in terms of understanding where American society is in relationship to uh, African Americans and their journey in this country. And it is, um, there are two worlds here. I'm sure there's many more than that, but there are two, the, the African American experience is not the experience of growing up white in America. And we are still very much 
uh, split in this country around that. There are a significant number of people who do not believe that the African-American experience is, you know, they, they, they see a, a, a level playing field and they feel like uh, we just need to move forward. And, you know, it's a meritocracy. Uh, and then there are people who recognize the tremendous um, disadvantage and continuous oppression and even uh, traumatic terrorization of the African-American community and the impact it's having on this very significant segment of our population. Uh, and when I talk to CEOs, that's reflected. So I have CEOs who say, hey, that doesn't impact me. We're fine. Business as usual. I, literally, they're at that level. And then and then there's a big hump. And the big hump is kind of like um, we recognize that our diversity and inclusion efforts have not been successful or as successful as we hoped they would be. And we don't know what to do about it. We're trying to figure that out. And those many of those people are still thinking in, in terms of DNA, uh, DEI task forces and uh, kind of longer projects. And then you have over at the other end, you have people who say, this is a game changer. We must change and we must change as fast as we possibly can. And we don't even understand what it means to grapple with structural racism. And that's our quest right now. How do we how do we get in there and make a difference? So unlike climate change, we still have this big spread uh, in the, in that space. I think that's so interesting the way you you put it the the leaders who are on sort of the other end of the continuum where they 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 really get it they recognize it but there's still this question of understanding it and figuring out you know what what is it we actually do to 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 make uh the, the difference that needs to be made and um it's not an easy question uh you know so it's it's heartening that you're at least encountering a significant group that are uh wrestling with that and hopefully that group is going to grow much more over time and and um yes and i'm, gl and I'm glad to hear that we've we both read uh that that begin again uh on james baldwin i believe that's uh eddie glaude if i'm pronouncing his, uh, his, his yeah. last name right. correctly fantastic book I, I definitely recommend that to uh to anybody who really uh you know wants to get more into you know how 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 these circumstances are i mean they're rooted so long ago and they've evolved over time and and, and it's just it's disturbing in a way that, you know, what James Baldwin was experiencing during the height of, you know, the civil rights movement and there being so much hope, just that same frustration is still here. Uh, again, it's just, you know, it's now going on in a somewhat uh, different way. I consider myself, um, you know, something of an optimist. I think, uh, I think you are as, as well um, in knowing that in, any sort of trying, uh, turbulent times like these, they're going to be silver learning linings. They're silver learnings would be a good way to, to put it. Uh, they're going to be opportunities that, that come out of it. So I'm wondering, you know, with, with everything that's going on, so much, so it feels like so much darkness right now. What, what excites you? Where are you seeing light? Where are you seeing hope? You know, what's giving you energy and enthusiasm at this point? Um, a lot is, uh, for, uh, so I'll try and just tick off uh, two or three of those things. One is uh, the racial justice, um, uh, you know, being in it much more deeply than I've ever been in it before. Uh, while it is traumatic to read and expose myself to some of the content, uh, and it's hard, uh, it's emotionally hard to go into it, I feel like the lights are coming on and uh, there's a significant segment of the population that holds the power in this country that is going through that journey right now. 
And I'm uh, so I feel like we're going to see some results. And um, uh, I'm heartened by that. I really am. I think that there's a wave of a new level of depth and understanding of the African-American experience and how it how it is a metaphor for all marginalized people. So people who are disabled, Native Americans, Hispanics, I mean, anyone who's marginalized in our society, if we can if we can really make strong progress in this space, it's going to lift up many boats. And that's so I'm heartened by that. Um, I am also heartened. Uh, there, there are things that are happening because of the speed of the disruption forcing us into these new spaces. And we're discovering things that can be done in virtual learning that, that, that are much better than what could be done in a face-to-face learning environment. Same thing is true with virtual working at home. Um, uh, associations are uh, many associations that were pushed to the edge financially or felt pushed to the edge. Uh, suddenly were able to kill sacred cows <laughs> that have been around for a long time. They were able to get uh, fast decisions through governance by, uh, you know, calling emergency meetings with the executive committee and then the board and moving things through. And what you saw was this kind of jettisoning of the, uh, the that bureaucracy that associations are so known for that makes things feel like they're going to take forever. Well, a lot of associations like flip the switch on multiple fronts and now they know they can. Um, and that to me says that associations can be more responsive to Americans needs. Uh, and so that's, that's an area too. And you've, you've just touched on this, uh, uh, to a significant, significant degree, but I'll, I'll go ahead and ask it, uh, anyway, you know, you just referenced some changes that, that you feel like are happening or at least have the potential to, to happen. I mean, when you look out, you know, get your crystal ball or, or whatever it is and do the, you know, the dangerous work of predicting the future. I mean, what, what changes do you think are going to come and, and what, what are going to be the lasting changes that actually come out of all of this, whether they're for, you know, good, bad or, or indifferent? Well, any, any progress we uh, make with racial justice right now, I feel like there'll be a line drawn in the sand and it'll be really hard to slide back. I know there'll be pressure to slide back, but I think I think that uh, people are so hungry and so determined and in some cases so angry that if we can really uh, take new ground and uh, change the way we think about who we are uh, and move uh, much closer to a multiracial democracy, uh, I think that those those. Uh, those, those are going to be uh, more permanent. That we're not we're not just going to slide back into where we were before. Um, I think the learning around uh, what works well in a virtual environment is going to stay with us. I I don't see us get going back to uh, so heavily weighted on face to face. I think that we're going to be in a hybrid environment going forward, um, and that includes uh, working. Uh, uh, so a lot of organizations are finding that even after maybe one or two month kind of hiccuping and uh, clumsiness that now they're, they've got a groove going. And so now the question is, well, do I really need to be in the same city as, as the office? Do I need an office? Do I need the same size office? I think we're going to see some permanent changes there. And I think that ability to kind of atomize by being virtual instead of being all clumped together, like in a, in a co-located space, is actually going to bring some value with it. Uh, for example, if you have 30 people on your staff and instead of having them all in an office in Washington, D.C., now they're spread all over the country and maybe a couple in other countries. Well, now you're going to be getting an input from a much wider web, a geographic web, and you could use that to your advantage. Um, so I think that some of the virtualization is here to stay. Um, so th- those are some of the things that I see on a permanent level. And then, you know, particularly for 
the people, the organizations that would be, you know, listening in on this, uh, you know, they're, they're in the, the learning business. Um, you know, what words of advice, caution, courage might, might you have for, for them right now? I think I think this is like I was saying in the beginning, this is a time of great learning and the people who are succeeding are, you know, eating it and digesting it as fast as they can. So anything that you can do to facilitate that learning, bringing people together to think together, to collaborate, uh, uh, sharing best practices or practices worth replicating so that they can speedily move to where they're needed most. Um understanding the new modes that are taking place when it comes to learning. For example, I'm retooling. I have uh, some videos that I uh, sell as part of uh, my business model. I'm going to be bringing them all down into 15-minute chunks and maybe even lower than that uh, because I've been learning that way, right? You know, it's like I got 10 minutes, I whip out my phone, and I make progress. Well, uh, those micro units have been around for, I don't know, 15 years, but now suddenly everybody's doing it. So this ability to lean in to what is uh, what, what people are actually doing that's working uh, in, in the, uh, the adult learning world, um, I think is uh, really important and not be afraid to try things that seem kind of wacko or are, I mean, like, for example, um, you know, mingling different topics in ways that they haven't been mingled before because it's required in order to understand how to build solutions to complex problems. So instead of taking a course in biology and another one in uh, neurology, you know, how about a neurobiology course, things like that. And so people who are able to lean into this what's actually taking place in our world that we're needed. I think that that's very exciting. Now, we referenced earlier your uh, 100 CEOs in 100 Days initiative, and you, you talked a little bit uh, about that in, in response to uh, ground we've already covered here. But I, I did want to ask more about that. Can you tell us you know, what's involved there, why you decided to undertake that initiative and then you know what are what are some of your biggest learnings from it so far yeah it was the, the idea was actually introduced to me by a close friend of ours Robbie Baxter um and her husband did it when he went to work for i think an insurance company they say the first assignment they gave him was said we want you to talk to 100 prospects in 100 days uh, we don't care if you sell anything but just get out there and talk and learn and I was like, wow, I'm, I'm going to do that. And so I started immediately reaching out to CEOs. And it was uh, it was my learning process and it fed me and it was very good. And I'm you know, these are not sales calls. So I am uh, I am there to learn, to ask questions, to find out what I can. And because I'm not doing sales, it gives me the freedom to really probe deeply and ask questions without feeling like people are getting defensive because they're not they're not pushing me away saying, oh, no, you just want a consulting engagement. It's like we're having a real conversation as peers. And I, I can ask them questions like, what is this going to do to your budget? Or how are you going to work with your executive committee? Or is racial justice important to you right now and you know get that that important information flowing so that i get a sense of what's what's in their world what do they need to 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 address and as a as an independent uh business person that's so important i've got to i've got to understand where there's traction what are people hungry for what do they need and then i can go out and hunt it down and develop it and give it back to them um Biggest things I've learned, uh, two things that we already talked about, was the spread around racial justice. 
um, and the uh, this and the uh, common understanding that climate change still needs to be dealt with, and the concern around that. Um, I've been learning a lot about the polarization and the election in our country because different professions and different trades tend to cut in different directions. So some are much more red, some are much more blue, some are in the middle and all over the place. And of course, the association has to have their arm around everybody, and uh, and has to take uh, that trade or that profession forward regardless of the political orientation of the members. And that can be really challenging if there's fragmentation and polarization, but it's like a mini lab for our country. Um, it's one of the things I love about associations is that they have their arms around this population that's diverse politically, and but united through a profession or a trade. And so um, I've also seen, I've been surprised um, for example, I was recently working with the board of directors uh, under a CEO uh, that was that's in the manufacturing space where all of their operations are in the Midwest. So this is red country, right? And we're talking to them about a grand challenge, and they all uh, pinpointed social and racial justice, and they they want they want people to know that uh, that people of all uh, gender orientations, all colors of skin are welcome, not just in their organization on the manufacturing floor, but in the leadership. And uh, that kind of set me back. That's not what I was expecting. So anyways, that came out of one of those calls with a CEO. Um, so understanding the pressures that people are facing has been key. The financial pressures are uh, also like uh, the racial justice. They're spread across a continuum. So we have organizations in this city that are, uh, you know, have multiple years worth of revenue in the bank. Uh, they are well healed. Their uh, members are still paying dues. And we have organizations that are on the brink of extinction. Um, it's been wonderful to watch them help each other. One of the wonderful things about associations is that they, generally speaking, don't compete with each other. So the leaders are, uh, you know, open kimono, like, what can I share with you? What do you need to know? How? And so some organizations that have built spreadsheets to help them navigate uh, the ups and downs of the revenue streams in this environment are sharing them openly with, uh, with smaller organizations that don't have the expertise to build that kind of modeling. Um, so that's been very exciting to see, see that going on. Um, the, the set of issues that's hitting association leaders, or, or I should say the association model, is all over the place. This is like shotgun. This is not uh, you know a single bullet here. That when you, you combine the pandemic, the economic disruptions, supply chain disruptions, job loss, contentious election, uh, racial justice, all of this, uh, it, it, it ends up like just covering kind of the organizations. And so uh, even if they might say racial justice is not an issue for us, then the other four or five are still there. And so uh, people are really having to question their core, you know, mission, vision, values. Uh, what are we doing in this world? Are we are we are we able to serve our members? Um, members needs are going through the roof. So those associations that see this as an opportunity are stepping into the breach and saying, we may do things that we've never done before because our members need it, but we're going to be there for them. And that, of course, is a bonding experience and creates the kind of loyalty and, and trust that can get you through a crisis. So I'm getting exposed to all of that through these, these calls. It's, it's really wonderful. And you've assembled, and I assume this is you know partly in response to, to what you've been hearing out there, this 
this whole collection of, of resources that I've found on your on your website for for leaders and you know organizations that are dealing with the pandemic and and we'll be sure to to link to those too in the show notes because I want to make sure people are, are aware of them and, and can get to them but uh, can you tell us a little bit more about the the resources you've put together and you know how you went about determining what they should be what you know what leaders really need the most right now sure um you know, some of it just right off the bat was clear. Like, for example, a lot of associations were grappling with, should I cancel my meeting? And this is go back to mid-March. Their meeting might have been in September this month, October, November, maybe even January of next year. So um, I was familiar with when I worked at the World Bank, we created a triage system for deciding whether or not to cancel or postpone a meeting. And it included factors like, you know, are, were there issues being discussed that were urgent and critical that, that could not be delayed? Uh, and how do you decide? How do you make that decision? So I created a meeting triage infographic that I was able to share broadly. Another was a, an emergency response checklist. Having been involved, I was in the front lines of 911 when it happened. And as a result of that, at the bank, I was uh, put into uh, working groups that dealt with emergency responses should they happen again in the future. And so I made a checklist of emergency responses for associations. So these were things that I was able to get out there fast because I already had experience and I knew intuitively that they would be valued. Then I started interviewing uh, association leaders on standing up a virtual work environment or on communication in these environments and then just publishing the videos, putting them on. And then, of course, doing some of my own videos where I would uh, teach some of this. Initially, there was kind of a, a lot that was easy to imagine that people needed. And then as I began doing the 100 phone calls and holding the Zoom conference, conversations. Then I started getting specifics from my client group. And then I could say, oh, they really need this. So for example, uh, a, a few weeks ago, I did a session on diversity inclusion with Billy Williams, who works at the American Geophysical Union and runs their diversity program, which just received a massive grant from the MIT Sloan Foundation and the National Science Foundation, because he has developed a gender bias workshop that they have uh, are able to study the results of and they see that it's working and they're now going to be making that workshop widely available they're going to of course move into the diversity space too now with racial justice and so i was able to hold a zoom call have billy be a special speaker bring in 32 ceos who are all grappling with their de and i programs and uh, they could ask questions they could share stories together uh, they could ask billy questions uh, and so I've been doing a lot of live events uh, that have are designed to serve the needs of the leaders as they grapple with these issues. Is there anything else you'd like to, to say about any of those major disruptors or, or maybe, you know, how they're potentially working in concert uh, at this uh, particular time? Well, we know the pandemic is not under control in this country. I think we just crossed 200,000 deaths uh, at the time of this recording. Um, and you see, we're starting to see some of the East Coast uh, areas go, go back up. And uh, so it's clear that we're not out of the woods yet. And that is a basic health issue. And so that kind of, uh, you know, pushes a lot of the other stuff out of the way if you're dealing with it. If you have a loved one, if you are sick, then all the other stuff slides to the back burner. And it's just all about your own health and getting through it. And so we're not at the end of that, which means that we're going to need to continue to support people who are dealing with loss, but also in remaining safe. 
Uh, people are sick and tired of wearing masks. They're sick and tired of social distancing. You know, uh, I wish I could throw a switch and it would just all go away, but it's not going to. And, and we, we still have a pretty strong slog in front of us. So associations are going to play a major role in making sure that people stay health and uh, healthy and safe. Um, and some of that extends, I've touched on it before, into mental health. We know that there's a, there's a whole kind of invisible repercussion that's not in the news. Uh, we know things like domestic abuse is up. We know that people who are depressed are more depressed. There are more overdoses happening. Uh, so anything that we can do to help each other get through this, um, you know, and that's everything from calling people that you love and making sure that they have regular contact with you, uh, writing note cards. Um, you know, I mean, those are simple little things, but anything that, that really conveys human warmth and helps people take the next step on this long journey uh, is still really important. Um, when we talk about the economy, uh, you know, there's at least three different dimensions to that. There's the economy itself. So you see businesses rising and falling. You see uh, some areas like, you know, delivery, uh, Amazon, UPS, uh, you know, restaurant delivery uh, going up, Zoom going up, uh, and, and then other areas plummeting like, you know, restaurant in-house service. Um, and so, and so the, there's the flow of markets that's, uh, that's changing and, and is challenging to go through. Then there's the job loss, and that's uh, huge, as I mentioned before. It's just that the numbers are staggering, and we can expect that to be with us for a long time. And, and then you've got supply chain disruption. So I have uh, clients who are running manufacturing firms, and I mean they're they're members in a trade association, and uh, they 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 have demand for what they create, but they don't have all the pieces because some of them come from China or this other place, and it's not they can't get their hands on the parts, and so uh, you have this kind of three dimensional thing going on there that is can be very personal, uh, especially when you get into job loss in in your own family, uh, you know, or friends and and people. So there's there's all of that to continue to figure out. Again, this is why learning is so important. It's like <laughs> you really want to understand the details. You want to, you know, and it it, can, it gets very specific to your profession or your trade. It's like what what what's the news? Where do where can I get dependable information? What new skills do I need to build? Uh, what different ways of thinking about things? Um, Another good friend of ours, Lisa McLeod, just released her second uh, edition of Selling with Noble Purpose. And she just got today got an article published on HBR around uh, what you need to know if you're selling in this environment. And it, her advice is spot on. I encourage people to go to HBR and look up Lisa McLeod, M-C-L-E-O-D. I'll give you a link so you can put it on the uh, the blog. But She's got very perceptive uh, advice for people who are involved in, you know, we're all involved in sales and influence one way or another. So this is pertinent to everyone. Um, we talked, I think, extensively about the, the, the systemic racism and racial justice. And I think uh, the contentious election. Wow. We got we first we have the next 60 days. Then we have the fallout from whatever happens. Um, and, uh, you know, we're going to need every heart we can tap to get through that. I think, uh, no matter how it cuts, it's going to be really, really challenging for this country. Uh, but it's also, we're at an inflection point in this country. Uh, and we're being watched by the rest of the world, but also internally, we're all looking ahead to see what's going to happen. So, you know, I'm, I'm a big believer in nonviolence. 
Um, I think I'm, I'm fine with protests, just not fine with violence. <laughs> and I think anything we can do to um, to learn the skills of how to uh, help people ratchet down when they're getting ratcheted up so that we can keep the conversation uh, one that everybody wants to engage in is a really health, healthy skill set. And as an association leader, uh, that's a skill set to teach your, your uh, staff because they're, they're going to need to do that with members. And I just want to throw one more thing in here, which is that this is a time for leadership development. This is it. And that is a learning opportunity because leadership in this environment is like no other leadership we've ever had. So training your staff in leadership, training your volunteers in leadership, training your members in leadership, uh, the competencies that are that are in the leadership world are needed now just to just to make it through. So that's to me, that's a real opportunity in the, in the learning world also. Seth Kahn is founder of Visionary Leadership and the author of the books Getting Change Right, Getting Innovation Right, and Visionary Leadership, Associations in the Age of Disruption. Find him online at visionaryleadership.com and reach him at seth at visionaryleadership.com. You can find show notes at leadinglearning.com slash episode 252, along with a transcript and a variety of resources related to my conversation with Seth. At leadinglearning.com slash episode 252, you'll also see options for subscribing to the podcast. To make sure you don't miss the remaining episodes in this series, we encourage you to subscribe. And subscribing also helps us get some data on the impact of the podcast. We would be grateful if you'd take a minute to rate us on Apple Podcast. Salisa and I personally appreciate it, and reviews and ratings help the podcast show up when people search for content on leading a learning business. Just go to leadinglearning.com slash Apple to leave a review and rating. Lastly, please spread the word about leading learning. In the show notes at leadinglearning.com slash episode 252, there are links to find us on Twitter, LinkedIn, and Facebook. Thanks again, and see you next time on the Leading Learning Podcast.